Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast with the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. My name is Father Peter Mossad, and you're listening to Echoes of Scripture on, on the Hill. Nice poll there. <laughs> we were just talking about uh, uh, John D. Liberto. Nobody knows who that. Do you think people know who that Dude, is? Dude, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast, and and there's a very select group of people who listen to public radio <laughs> on Sunday nights or Saturday nights or whenever they <laughs> like were. 11 p.m. Dude, <laughs> yeah, it was like it, I used to fall asleep to it in college. Dude, oh man, I used to in seminary. I was like, it was like a Sabbath rest for me, man. Mm. I was listening to John D. Liberto, except for he said his name so much. <laughs> this is John DiLiberto. And you're listening to Echoes. It is a very comforting show. But anyway, you're not listening. To, that's not what you're listening to. You're, you're listening li- to the Word on the Hill. Echoes of Scripture. Echoes of Hill Scripture. With Father Peter Mossad. <laughs> oh, lordy, lordy. It's the, uh, it's the fourth Sunday. Well, it is the fourth Sunday of Lent. That is a true statement. I'm the- not going to take that back. But do you have any shout outs or anything? Um, Because uh- <laughs> I do. You do. No, you do by yours the, first. By the way, um, this uh, this is going to be uh, uh, Pepto Bismol Sunday, according to some priests. Oh, it's uh, Laudate. Laud- Laudate. Laud- Laudate. Oh, Gaudete. Gaudete is, is Advent. Advent. Laudate. 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 Christus. <laughs> I always mix it up. Yeah, it's Pink I, Sunday. Yeah, it's really funny because I we actually have really beautiful rose vestments. I'm sorry, rose and, Sunday. And this, some priest, somebody was telling me about a oh, priest no. who was like, he's like, ah, this is Pepto Bismol Sunday, and I thought oh, that dear. was it was kind of witty, but like Pepto Bismol does not evoke really happy things inside of me. Um, no, I was trying to find a happy. I mean, sometimes it can bring relief. Plop, plop, no, fizz, may, fizz, dude. Hey, maybe that, that's, uh, that's um, Pez, not Pez. Pez. <laughs> <laughs> what is pop, pop, fizz, fizz? It's NyQuil. Big, no, with the things that you drop, those little tablets. That, Airborne. Like, oh, my gosh. This is ridiculous. Emergency. Tums, 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 tums. tums. <laughs> no, but think about it. So it's Lent. Lent is hard. Lent is a little bit grueling at times. It's dark. And then laudate, laudate, laud... Gaudate? Laudate Sunday can bring a little bit of relief in the darkness of Lent. Well, so you, the pink of Pepno Bisbal is actually an apt analogy. Oh, if, you, if you think of it, right? Right? Dang, you know that was that was that was that it's was pretty epic, dude. Pepto Bisbal of Lent. Well, um, what, what's what's happening is that whenever you see that color, <laughs> you have, it is signified that we are halfway there. Okay, we. <laughs> I made a a passing comment. Um, the other day about our listeners, and I mentioned somebody coming from Ukraine, um, right? Right. Because we periodically will will have that, and we were just we were just kind of literally you and I were just rattling off countries that people potentially listen from. Yeah. And someone incredibly politely and respectfully um, corrected my my naming of the country. Um, and apparently in Ukraine, you don't use an article. There's no the. You don't call it the Ukraine. It's simply Ukraine. And apparently it's something that that Ukrainians take fairly seriously. And it's kind of a big deal. And they have uh, important family connections to this. And so they, seriously, it was a very respectful email. And I actually like to be attuned to things like that. Yeah. Because I, I want to be respectful of that. So right. um, I'm sorry for calling it the Ukraine, which is not true. I think I was just kind of quoting... Kramer on that one episode of uh, Seinfeld. Remember where he was playing Risk on the subway <laughs> with, with Newman? Anyway, oh my goodness. Um, to all our listeners in Ukraine, 
Here's a shout out to all of you. And then last of all, I got a number of emails and messages about this. We mentioned on the podcast, I think it was last week. Um, I think it was last week. We talked about Abraham, right? And Isaac going up Mount Sin- or yeah. going up the mountain. Was that yeah. last week? Yes, yeah, that sounds about right. Recently. And I said that we know that Sarah, Isaac's mom, died while he was on the journey up the mountain. We don't know that definitively. And a couple of people have said, but you, and maybe I said it a little too strongly, the tradition states that she died. We, we, we have Abraham and Isaac going up on Mount Moriah. Yeah. They come back down, and the next thing we hear of Sarah is that she has died. And so the rabbinic tradition, the, and we get this from the rabbis, and they're explicit about it. So this is what Jesus would have been being taught was that Sarah died on the journey. There's not one line in Genesis that we can point to and say, and she died while they were up there. Uh, but that's what the tradition says. And it seems to make, it's logical in the way that the text flows. Yeah. Does that make sense? Just a, a clarification in case I stated that too strongly. That's what makes most sense, which is where we get Isaac's age of 37. Because Sarah has him when she's 90. She dies in 127. And presumably... She seems to die when they're on the journey, or at least very close to it, which is why we know Isaac's about 37. Make sense? This makes sense. So just wanted to clarify that for anyone who's confused. Because, yeah, I I got a lot of emails and messages about that, (laughs) which that's always like, uh uh-oh. Dude. You should probably say something. Yeah, never mess with somebody's mom, dude. Yeah, you don't want to mess with mom. Nobody mess with mom. Well, um, this th- this uh, hopefully satisfies all of those of you who really like long introductions. Um, <laughs> we are in the fourth Sunday of Lent. Our first reading is from Second Chronicles, really thirty six fourteen to sixteen, and then nineteen to twenty three. Man, our intro was like a chronicle. <laughs> <coughs> our responsorial, yeah, nice. Our responsorial psalm, which is where, at least if I edit it correctly, is where we're getting our opening song this week. From good old Bob Marley, our friend. It's come. It's coming from Psalm 137. Bob Marley and the Melodians. Yeah, before they were the Whalers, they Just were the Melodians, case. which Dude, you that hardcore a- reggae fans already know that. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> you you found a whole pedagogy in it, but I don't know if we have time to go into that. Yeah, yeah, we maybe we'll There's have to some see beauty. it to Psalm. Yeah, well, oh, that's a great explanation. Okay, a Psalm 137, readings? one through two, three, four through five, and six, and the response itself is coming from six A and B. <laughs> <laughs> And then Ephesians 2, yep. 4 to 10. And our gospel is from John chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Nighty Nick. Well, um, so I'm looking at Chronicles, man. Okay. Talk to me. And, um, Talk to me. Dude, whenever you start saying that somebody added treachery to treachery and then throwing abominations on top of that and yeah. then tainted, I mean, like, listen to all good. these descriptors, man. It's not good. They're like this is bad for is for, <laughs> for Laudetai Sunday. <laughs> oh jeez. Good heavens. Uh, we should say um this is the very last chapter of Chronicles. This is how the book of Chronicles ends, which I think is important to point mm. out. This is the closing note of this book. Um I should we should also point out Chronicles is the parallel of first and second Samuel and first and second Kings or no, maybe just Kings, Mm. at least this part we're we're paralleling Kings. So um, the book of Kings is essentially telling the same story as the book of Chronicles from slightly different points of view. Oh, and there's an important, so why do I point that out? Well, that's interesting literarily, I guess, but there's an important point in this. Um, Oh, but part of, part of me wants to read part. So you, you mentioned, so what Chronicles is saying is, is, it's answering the question, how did we get into the exile, right? So this is, is, this is actually being written probably after the exile because the author of Chronicles seems to know something that the author of Kings does not. 
the author of Kings ends with Israel being plunged headlong into exile and slavery. The author of Chronicles seems to know how it's going to turn out. And he knows the end of the story. And so it goes, you know, saying in those days, the princes of Judah, you know, infidelity, infidelity, abominations to abominations. Like you said, they polluted the Lord's temple. Um, I, I love this line. I love it because of its um, uh, sadness, I guess. Early and often did the Lord, the God of their fathers, send his messengers to them. For he had compassion on his people in his dwelling place, but they mocked the messenger of God, the messengers of God. They despised his warnings. They scoffed at his prophets until the anger of the Lord against his people was so inflamed that there was no remedy. That is as succinct, as succinct an explanation of salvation history as I think you can get. God loves his people. He loves his dwelling place. He established Israel and they fell into great sin. And so early, early is, is very important. I mean, he didn't wait until the last minute for centuries and often all the time. I mean, look at all of the books and the prophets in the Old Testament. There's a ton of them because God was so desperate to tell the people, I need you to turn back. You're headed down a dangerous road. Stop what you're doing. Stop where you're going. Right. It's like when you, uh, this is a strange analogy. Okay. Um, a number of years ago, my wife and I went to Poland, right? Um, but for like a day. No, no, that was yeah. There was that that day we sent in Poland for World Youth Day. But but right before we started Camp Wojtyla, we took a little pilgrimage to Poland for a couple of weeks. Um, just it was before we had kids, and we, you know, we traveled around. We kind of went in the footsteps of JP two. We backpacked in the Tatras, but we flew into Germany, right? Okay. And I had this great, Annie was like, let's just take the train. It'll be easier. And I, with my little adventurous spirit was like, no, let's rent a car and we'll drive. It'll be great. And we'll oh, have the freedom dear. to drive. And so we, we flew into Germany to, uh, to uh, uh, München, I think. And uh, we were going to, or maybe Frankfurt, I can't remember. But we were going to drive to Poland, right? So we rented our little tiny car in um, Germany. And, you know, you've been to Germany, right? Yeah. Germany is impeccable. It's neat. It's clean. It's tidy. It's orderly. The roads make sense. I mean, everything is just... And so we're driving through Germany, and all the highways are great. And then literally, we got to the Czech border, yeah. the Czech Republic. Uh-huh. And it was just... It was just a... <laughs> the roads became dirt, and they, were, you know, they veered off. They didn't follow the map anymore. And literally, we were going down this road, this super highway. It was like a six-lane super highway. And it literally stopped abruptly with big orange and white signs the highway was just finished because they hadn't finished building it yet oh and the map goodness. claimed that it had <laughs> but it didn't it what didn't exist and you're like uh, so we just we wandered around and we eventually made it to poland it was it was what it was <laughs> why do i bring that up i i <laughs> i bring it up because um you're driving along a superhighway, and if the superhighway is about to end, you should have some warning. Like, you know, if, you're, if there's construction or something, whenever you're approaching construction, there's a million signs that are warning you. It's coming in 10 miles. It's coming in 8 miles. It's coming, right? Which is what the prophets are doing. God is not like the Czech Highway Administration, that he doesn't <laughs> warn and just, you know, abruptly ends the highway. Okay, your time's up. No, that's the. It was a strange analogy. It was. I. It I, just wanted to tell the story. You know what? It was really fun to actually just. I was just on a ride with you. Yeah, I felt like I was literally. in the car, yeah. and then and then the analogy came to an abrupt end. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> no, but you the, were warning us the whole. The point time. is, he's he's constantly warning, long in advance. The road's gonna end. This is a bad, dangerous way. The Lord says with all the prophets, because I, I was watching. Uh, I was watching Evan Almighty yesterday. <laughs> 
and, and I just kept on thinking. What was of, yesterday? Wednesday. <laughs> Wednesday, right. you know, it was like lunchtime fair or whatever. <laughs> so, so I was like, uh, Evan Almighty, and I was like, I was like, oh, th- there's just something so obvious about Noah. I mean, Noah's a perfect example of how yes, we were how, just... how he has to construct this boat in front of everybody in this like embarrassing way. Yeah. In this like long, really long form way. I mean, it's Do you remember a, how long it took? 120 years. Very good. Yeah. Like, so... sorry, that was very condescending. So. <laughs> very good. Father very good. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> so it's 120 years. His brother had to build a boat. And so I was, it's I was a long looking, time to build a boat. I know. And so I just was thinking it's like, but that's exactly what we're talking about here. Do you remember what St. Peter? So in, I think it's in, it's either first Peter or second Peter. He says what Noah's vocation was. Do you remember what is it? Because it was not to build a boat. It was to warn everybody yeah. about the impending flood. Yeah. So, so I mean, uh, Peter calls him a preacher of repentance or a preacher of righteousness, depending on the translation. Which, I mean, you think about it, you're like, oh, Noah, he's the one who built the big boat and took the animals and all the stuff. God gave him a task that would take an extraordinarily long time just so he could give Noah ample time to warn everybody about what's coming so that it didn't have to come. Right? That's what you read First Peter and that's what I take from it, mm. was that this was God's last, I mean, like he says in Chronicles, there was no other remedy. He warned them. He told them. He kept trying to get them to come back. Turn your hearts. Turn back. Go the other way. Don't do this. That's why Noah had a 120-year-long task of building a boat. Not just to build a boat, but to give him lots of time to warn the people about what was coming. Mm. Which is what the author of Chronicles is saying about the whole story of salvation history. This is what God is doing. But they ignored him. They mocked the prophets. They mocked his messengers. They they. Um, what does it say? They despised the warnings. They scoffed at them. They killed a lot of them. And so there's no remedy. And so what do you do with the people that refuse to be the light to the world? Well, quite frankly, the people to whom Israel refused to be the light to become the enemies who then are used to destroy them because they never had the word of the Lord shared with them. I mean, I don't want to put all of it on, you know, I mean, evil is evil is evil. But, I mean, Israel had a job to be the preachers of repentance right. to the world. They don't do it. And guess what? The nations of the world who never received the message that it was Israel's job to give them now end up being the punishers. Mm. And so God allows this to happen. And they're carried off to Babylon. You know, all this stuff happens. But what um, is interesting about Chronicles is that Chronicles, unlike Kings, is getting the other side of the story. And he sees how it ends. And he says, but then later on in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, the one who took over from the Babylonians, Babylonians rather, who were the ones who burnt down Jerusalem, um, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord inspired the pagan king Cyrus of Persia, which is an important note, right? To issue this proclamation throughout his kingdom by both the word word of mouth and by writing, thus says King of Cyrus, King of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given to me, and he has also charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Therefore, whoever among you belongs to any part of his people, let him go up and may his God be with him. That's the note on which Chronicles ends, which is not doom and gloom, punishment, exile, slavery, period, which is essentially how Kings ends. The Chronicles ends by saying, but guess what? Even despite Israel, God's own chosen people, his firstborn son, rejecting his message, God is going to raise up a messenger from the least likely spot on earth, the pagan emperor who actually rules over you, to be his messenger. And actually Cyrus, on a political level, when Cyrus came to power, one of the things he wanted to do was 
he tried to be as benevolent as he could because he wanted all of the people who fell under his jurisdiction to love him and actually respect him and want um, to be led by him. So he sets free all of the people that Babylon had taken into captivity and lets them go back. And he actually pays them money for, to the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Partially because he's trying to be liked, partially because of benevolence, mainly because he's fulfilling God's will, but also partially because he knows if they go back and build a temple, they're going to tithe to that temple and I can tax them on those tithes. So I can get a lot more wealthy taxing them on their temple than I can with them just living in slavery up here. So, you know, there's the historical circumstances, but what God is saying is that this guy, he's the one who God is going to use to set you free and have you go back. You know what I like about that, though? What? Is that there, it's... The will of the Lord is still uh, allows for real human complexity. Yes, that's a great way to put it. Because because like sometimes I think that when we yeah. say, "Gosh, Lord, what is your will for me in my life?" Yep. All of a sudden, it's like it's almost like that the path is going to be like cleared away, Aww. and we're going to be on a German superhighway. <laughs> Nice. And and well, and, and well that it's all like super orderly and we're like, oh great. Well, no, the reality is is that God's will is not a German superhighway. No, what it is <laughs> <laughs> what what it's more like is is it's more like this um this this hard The dirt roads of the Czech Republic. Oh no, well that's not where I wanted okay, to go. Sorry, that's sorry, why sorry. that's why I'm like struggling. I love the for Czech Republic, words. by the way. Yeah. And this is where my people are from. So anyway. yeah, yeah. Dude, Czechs I, and, and Poland. I, I'm I'm glad you put a check on yourself for that. Ah, ah. okay. That it just allows for our own human motivations to be incorporated within his will. Yeah. Like, like it's not just that it's so pure that it's just only its own thing in there. No, it yes. takes into account absolutely everything yeah. in the sovereignty of God, which, which um, I have no idea how that leads us into the psalm. Oh, it does. Uh, because, well... I don't know how it it's applicable to the first it's, reading. I mean, yes, I think yes, it's yes. it's profoundly important well, well, the, because the, it shows the sovereignty of the Lord. Right. That even our will and our intentions, whether they're good or bad intentions, are not enough that God's will can't be done through them. Right. But that's a part. That's not enti- the entirety of what you're saying, but it's an important point. Yeah, yeah. E- even in the e- the sovereign Lord even can take up the pagan king. And what what we sh- before we leave the first reading, I think what we have to point out is what the first reading is saying is that God is using the punishment to bring about the good. Yes. And that's the the theme that's going to take us throughout the rest of the readings. This punishment is not arbitrary. He's actually going to use the punishment to save them, mm. right? They're taken into slavery, into exile. Not that that's what God wants to do, but he allows it because he knows that ultimately that's where the good is going to come from. And there's going to come this pagan king named Cyrus who's going to be benevolent. He's going to allow God's kingdom to be rebuilt and prepare the way for Jesus to actually be born. I mean, the stage is being set through the punishment, strangely enough. And that's going to be an important point. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was preaching on the um, the parable of the man who was forgiven a great debt, who choked yeah. out his lesser debt yeah, yeah. debtors, and then he gets handed mm-hmm. over the torturers, which is actually a mercy. This is the thing is because if you look, the problem with that guy is that he's super hooked on money. He yeah. amassed such a gigantic debt that his whole family and everything was going to be sold into slavery, yeah, including yeah, yeah. himself. It got relieved, and then he went and choked somebody out for more money to get money from them. His whole his soul was not healed. Clearly. And so what happened is that is that it's like we look into our own lives, and if we're going through these torturous things— mm. That, that we actually have to suffer something to mm. be able to get set free from 
these like this yeah. th- these things that bind our souls and so yeah. that's yeah. what we that's what we see even it's kind of like rehab it in a is certain sense absolutely and so like by the rivers of babylon we sat weeping yeah this is our psalm right yeah which it, the the actual response that the response that god chooses that the church chooses is let my tongue be silenced if i ever forget you which i'm trying to i'm trying to think of how to apply that i mean Dude, it's I, easy I, to forget God because of the complexities of the human will and the way that God's will can work through those things, right? Yeah. Let my tongue be silenced if I ever forget that you're working through all things. I mean, I think that it'd be an interesting reflection to find mm-hmm. all of the ways in your life that you could finish that clause, right? I, I, uh, I've been dog-sitting for this dog, <laughs> Simon. And uh, and as uh, he hasn't been drinking enough water, Mm-mm. and you can translate th- you can translate this uh, response to say, "May my tongue stick to my palate if I do not remember you, Jerusalem." Mm. And uh, he gets like this terrible cotton mouth at night, and so he, he's, he's like he's like. <laughs> and so, so I just think about that, and but like, and because it, it keeps you up, and it's mm. hard, and you're just like don't have what you need because. Yeah. You're, you're, because like this is the thing is we don't get what we need if we're not acknowledging the sovereignty of God in yes. all the things that is going on. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it, and that's why we must avoid the victim mindset. Yes, we yes. must. Because um, av- otherwise, we we get trapped in this thing that I just got to get through this next thing. I got to get through my foot injury, and uh, and if and if I, I'll just get through it. Is that aimed at me? Yes, it is. <laughs> Rather than saying like, no, Lord, what is what part of your will is contained in this weird thing? Well, it's a funny thing if you study salvation history and the way that the Old Testament works. I mean, you know, again, the whole story is this, 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 it's like a heart monitor, right? Israel going up and down and then being faithful and then <laughs> sinful and, you know, yeah. But prior to the exile, prior to them being hauled off in, in what we're reading about here, they're constantly falling into infidelity and sin and idolatry. And you read the story and you're like, will they ever get it? Like, oh my gosh, you've gone through, you know, all of these stories, the the Exodus, they saw the Red Sea being parted. They saw the plagues, you know, going into Joshua and the, the promised land and judges and Samuel and all the kings. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. But it's a funny <laughs> thing after um, the Babylonian exile, there's a book, do you know the book of Baruch? People don't read Baruch enough. I don't, and I can't no. think of when it shows up in our liturgy. Um, I'm just not sure. We talk about it. Do we podcast. talk about Baruch? Baruch, it's the first time that it, it's it. Baruch was uh, Jeremiah's secretary, so he was Jeremiah's scribe. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I just love it. Can it I give you a cup of coffee, sir? Dude, no, like, dude. There's nothing like being a prophet with the secretary, man. That's true. <laughs> That's but what it's like to be me. Baruch is the one of the first books where Israel finally looks back and says. Oh, we get it now. That's why we're in exile. That's how we got here. That's how we got here, which is what the whole story of salvation history is trying. This is why the book of Chronicles is written. It's written to those who have just come out of exile, trying to help them go back and understand how they got here. And not just how did we get here, but what is God trying to teach us through this? Right. Right. That's the whole point of these things. And it's a beautiful moment when Israel finally says, oh, I get it now. I, I remember it's such a trite analogy, but, you know, my, my kids the other day, it was really cold and it hadn't, it, it had been really warm, right? And then okay. it got cold. Yeah. And my kids just did not want to pump their jackets on. 
and I was like, trust me, it's really cold out there. And this is such a small analogy, but I was like, it's cold to the older ones. And they're like, we don't want to wear a jacket and it's been warm and we're not wearing our jackets and they're blah, blah, blah. And then they went out. I was like, and at one point I was just like, I'm sick of fighting this. I've got to make lunches. And I was like, fine, just go without your jackets. And then they go outside and it was freezing. And they were like, it's miserable and we're cold. And they were whiny. And I remember my daughter for sure being like, oh, I get why you wanted me to wear my jacket. <laughs> I didn't realize that it was so cold because it was sunny and I just didn't realize. Oh, I get, but I saw like the light bulb moment when she was like, oh, you were looking out for me. Like you were just trying to keep me warm. And it was like, this is what is, you know, that moment when you're like, oh, you're not punishing me. You're just trying to get me to understand, Yeah, which is what Israel is doing. And even the Psalm is reflecting back on this, right? We, We sat by the streams of Babylon and we wept and we remembered Zion and we tried to reflect on what happened and where did we come from and why are we here, right? And, um, yeah, it it ends by talking about um, not being forgotten, that God is not going to forget us. And what we came to the realization of is that we're not abandoned. God can't abandon us. He can't leave us, even though it feels like it. Right. But it's a beautiful song where we reflect on, yeah, things are really hard. Why? And what is God doing through them being hard? Because even as we're going through Lent, right? As we're waiting for the second coming, we're in a kind of exile, right? Jesus is with us, right? right. He left us the Eucharist. He gave us himself. We are in the new covenant, but we're still in a kind of weird in-between. We're still half in exile because we can't see him clearly yet. He's still coming for us, right. you know, in the second coming. And so this is important to reflect on, like, why is there still so much evil? Right. I thought he defeated death. I thought he conquered sin. Why am I still so sinful? And it, Lent, is, Lent is designed by the church to be that moment where we sit by the rivers of our exile and we look back and we're like, okay, what is God doing? Why is he allowing these things in my life? And what can I, how can I realize that he hasn't abandoned me and what, what do I do with that? Mm. Right? Does that make any sense? Tons. Okay. Which takes us to Ephesians. Which, because of the great love that he has for us, he brought us to life by Christ and raised right. us up with him. Right. That, that, that this is not something that he's just like, I'm going to pour this out on you yeah. and not actually say, like, that's the great well, generosity of God. It's not just God's God. ticked off. I'm really mad, so I'm going to punish you. That's no, not what's happening. He's going to, he shows us that this is the, this is actually a pattern that he himself is willing to go through for mm. us on behalf of us, because he knows how actually feeble we are. Yeah. Like, because he wants us to just, he's just like, okay, I'm, I know that you guys can't do this. I know you can't even fulfill this. I want you to, but, but I want you to know that I'm going to do this so that you can have faith in me. Yeah. And that even that you'll do great things if you're willing to just join yourself to me. Yes. Because I went through this and this is what it likes to, looks (laughs) like to go through this with fidelity and as hard. Going through the suffering with fidelity. Right. Knowing that the suffering is not simply suffering, but but God can lead to his salvation through it. Dude, that's, that's if I could teach anybody something during Lent, mm. it's that, that we suffer through things during Lent for the salvation of others. Yeah. I mean, it's great if we, if it affects personal salvation, right. but that it's, but that. We are, we are people who love God above all else and our neighbors ourselves. And that's what Israel fundamentally didn't get in, the old, in, in much of the Old Testament. That, I mean, the, the understanding was we're the people of God. Like, we're the good ones. Right. Who cares what they do? Circle the wagons, build the walls because they're screwed out there. You know? right. And then, lo and behold, these people that you have cut off and not shared <laughs> the Lord's will with are now destroying you and are entrenched in evil. And what do we do with that? 
But yeah, that, that's exactly right. Yep. Which takes us to the gospel. John 3.16, man. Yeah, the football verse. Dude, that's football alleluia verse. I mean, uh, gospel acclamation <laughs> verse. What? Because we don't say we don't sing alleluia. We sing. Ah, uh, during Praise to you. Yes. So we sing that. And then. Wait, th- what do we sing? Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And then we sing, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Oh. It's the I, acclamation. I forgot that it was. I forgot that that was the acclamation during. Is it through all of Lent? No, it's just, just this just, Sunday. Just this Sunday. Okay, that's why I was. That's, like, I don't that's, the, that. that's the song bridge between Ephesians. Oh, it says it right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see now. Now I hey, see. Hey, you were blind and now you I see. I was blind. Well, this is perfect. This is what Nicodemus is doing. That's right. Do you guys know the, do you know all the imagery here? This is really beautiful, right? So Nicodemus, who's Nicodemus? Nicodemus, so Jesus said to Nicodemus. Um oh, there's a Nicodemus lot here. High School Football Rules. Nice work. That was an interesting poll. It was it was it was <laughs> combining was a lot of things, yeah. Just two. No, a lot. Okay. <laughs> all right, what do, what do we say about this? Um okay, so this is this well-known passage. We're not getting the context, which you know, that's what we do. We give the context, right? So Nicodemus is this Jewish leader, right? He's a Pharisee, I think, right? Do we know if he's a Pharisee? He's a Jewish religious leader. We sh- I think that the speculation and what I've read is that it, that he is a Pharisee. I think he's a Pharisee. I can't remember if it says I think, so I think or that's not. a fair speculation to see. <laughs> yep. Uh, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Oh, yeah. It says it in chapter 3, verse 1. Okay. Um, yeah, just to back up, though, chapter 3, verse 1, there's this guy named Nicodemus. He's a man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. So he's a big deal. And it says, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God's, for no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus said, uh, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, one cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can a person be born uh, Be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mom's womb and be born? And Jesus was like, no, no, no. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so he, he kind of goes on with this. I just want to set this up because what, what the context for Nicodemus is, is this religious. So Jesus is is here. He's doing ministry, right? He's beginning to preach. Um, he's flipping over tables in the temple, which we saw last week, right? Yep. So he's beginning to kind of uh, show himself, show some signs. And this Pharisee is intrigued by it. I don't get the sense that Nicodemus thinks he's anything more than an earthly teacher. I don't think he he understands the divinity of him. It, it's telling in, Gon, in John's gospel that um, Nicodemus comes to him by night. John is incredibly poetic, right? And he he's he's image and symbolism laden. Do you remember what um the opening of John's gospel said? Um in the beginning. Yeah. Was the word and the word is with God. Yeah. Keep going. You know this. Oh, and then uh and then uh, he was doing this stuff until John came. I'm I'm thinking specifically about the darkness and light bit. Remember that? Yes. What how does it say? It says um the light shines in the darkness. It's verse five of chapter one. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it is what most of our translations say. Have we talked about this ever on the podcast? So you know that line, the light shines in the darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. The word um, in in Greek uh, for what we translate as overcome, the more proper translation is comprehend. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it. It can't deal with it. It doesn't know what to do with it. Oh. Not simply to overcome. It doesn't mean simply it can't beat it. It can't comprehend it. 
And it's fascinating that just, you know, a couple chapters later, Nicodemus comes, what? In the darkness. And what can he not do? Comprehend what Jesus is saying. He's embodying what John said at the beginning of his gospel. The light shines on the darkness and the darkness just cannot comprehend it. This guy comes under the cover of night in the darkness. He's talking to Jesus and Jesus is like, mm. you, you got to see this is, he's talking about baptism. You got to mm. die to yourself. You got to go down into the water and be born again. You have to kind of be resurrected. He hasn't used that language yet, but he's pointing toward it. And Nicodemus is like, what? I got to go back into my mom's womb. What are you talking? Like, he's just like, what are you talking about? Right, right. It, the beautiful part is later on, I think it's in chapter seven, Nicodemus will have a profound conversion. He will get it. And the darkness will comprehend the light at one point. It, it is going to happen. But for here, he's trying to explain this. And he's like, Nicodemus, you don't get it. And then where we pick it up after they've kind of gone back and forth about the, the baptism thing, it says, Jesus says to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the son of man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Do you remember the serpent thing that Jesus is quoting? No. Do you remember that story? It comes from the book of Numbers. I can't remember where exactly in Numbers. But um, as they're wandering uh, oh, yeah, in the wilderness. Yeah. And then yeah. the, the, they, they start complaining, and then they have the serif serpents, and then he has to, they start biting people, and they're dying, and then they have to look at the 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 uh, a, a bronze uh, fabrication of poles with serpents on them, and then they're healed. <laughs> yeah. It's actually where, you know, the, the American Medical Association, or chiropractic the, the medical well the medical symbol with the oh, snake yeah, yeah. wrapped around a pole oh, that's yeah, where yeah. we get that it comes from the book of numbers oh yeah um because but but think about this you just you just recapped the story the people of god they're complaining and they get start getting i don't know why i'm laughing it's not funny they start <laughs> getting bit by these serpents and dying getting sick and dying and then what happens say it again but go back to what you just said cuz jesus pulls this seemingly totally random verse yeah. or passage or scene and you're like what what are you talking about you were talking about baptism a second ago now you're talking about serpents mm. but recount what you just said they're getting bit by serpents and so god does what he makes them look at a serpent and what does it do it heals them so the thing that was being used to punish them is now the cause of their salvation Ooh, Do you see it? Do you see yeah. why Jesus is pulling in this seemingly totally rando story? Oh, there's this a case in which God was preparing us to understand the thing that seems to be the punishment is actually going to be what saves us. It is gazing upon that thing that we saw as the threat that will actually lead to our healing. What is Jesus talking about? He's mm. talking about baptism right here, which is it's actually the shorthand for how he refers to his own crucifixion. Remember in the Gospel of Mark, he calls his crucifixion a baptism because what happens to us when we're baptized, we die to our old self. We enter into the cross in a certain sense. We die to ourselves so that we can be raised back up. And he's like, you know this, Nicodemus. You're a teacher of the Jewish law, of the, of the Torah. You should know this story. Think about a time when the punishment actually became the salvation. Wow. Just like in Chronicles, your punishment, your exile is actually going to be the means through which I save you. Pointing ahead toward the cross that we're getting closer and closer to with every Sunday of Advent, when the punishment that Jesus bears for us will become the means of salvation, which is what all of these readings are actually pointing us toward. And when Jesus is talking about gazing up at the staff holding the punishment, <laughs> I mean, we're looking up at the cross in a very real way. Yeah. Sitting by the rivers of Babylon, looking at the cross, thinking about 
what that is and what it means and looking forward to the resurrection it's going to bring. And, and yet it takes faith. I mean, that's actually why Ephesians is such a, is such a hinge pin in the midst of this. Yes. Is that it takes, it takes faith to say, oh, okay, if I'm going to look at the, really, you want me to look at some bronze? You want me to look at the same thing that's killing <laughs> us right now proclaimed? Yeah. And you want me to look at that and I'll be healed? And then you do and you're like, oh. Yeah. Which is which is sometimes it's really interesting because that that's the complexity of what it's like to be a Catholic is mm. to say, yes. and during Lent I look at the cross and I know that 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 the to see that and to have that in front of me is a reminder of what my sin really does, mm. but yet it's only by surrendering that sin to Christ on the cross that we get to experience the real healing of what it means, mm. and that, and so that's like. That's the complexity of what it's like to be us, uh, the holy people of God. That's it. Is to say like, oh, I'm going to acknowledge the fact that Christ willingly took my sin upon him to set me free so that I would be alive and that... And that I, that I would be in the light and the dark would not even be able to comprehend how much I'm in the light and that that we're that we're here and alive and that like all of that destruction that that came and all that suffering that that's present actually has force and meaning in a in an internal capacity is really tough to to comprehend well ironic not ironically but conveniently enough I don't know significantly enough that's what the rest of John goes on to say. I mean, right. what you just said, I mean, you've just summarized it because, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I love that um, Jesus puts it in the past tense or John puts it in Jesus' mouth in the past tense. He gave his only son. He hasn't died on the cross yet, but he's still been given. Right. He's been enfleshed. He's there. That whosoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent his son into the world, not, conde- not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, mm. but whoever does not believe has already been condemned. Mm. Because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the verdict. And this is the part I wanted to get to. The light came into the world, but the people preferred the darkness to the light. Mm. Which is John's summation of the reading from Chronicles. Mm. God kept sending the light. This is the story of salvation history. Early and often did he send his light into the world. But guess what? The world preferred the darkness. And those who choose the darkness... um, uh, prefer the darkness to light, for their works were evil. For anyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come toward the light so that his works might be, not be exposed. But whoever loves the truth, lives the truth, comes to the light that his works may be clearly seen as done in God. But that line earlier, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. Whoever believes in him will, not, will not be condemned. Um, what condemns us? Not being willing to see the hope that actually exists. What condemns Old Testament Israel? If they refuse to see that their exile actually is leading to their glory. If they don't see that God has the power to work through that suffering, they've condemned themselves. It's not this mean God who's like, I condemn you and I condemn you. It's they've condemned themselves. If you're not willing to let God's mercy work in your life and transform the sufferings into your salvation, then you've already condemned yourself because you're not willing to actually let the light be the light because a lot of us prefer the darkness. Right. I, I think that that's why the scripture that says that the, clo- the Lord is close to the Baruch and hearted. 
<laughs> you know that it works on a lot of levels. It works on a lot of levels. Well played. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's it. Like, yeah. dude, you just said really powerful, profound things that I actually am going to rewind the podcast and listen to it <laughs> no, several times. I totally am. Huh. Because, like, dude, that's like, man... If you're if you hung with us this far, everybody, <laughs> congratulations! Congratulations, a um, mm. and uh, for all of you in the U- in in Ukraine, uh, who, very good. Yes, well yeah, I, I had to yes. amend myself because no, I'm good. I'm learning. But like, I just I just think that you guys are um, are really lucky to even be hearing this. This is like, I don't know, it's like fresh, clean water to me. Mm. Like by the rivers of Babylon. We sat and we wept, and that's actually why Bob Marley and the Melodians changed their name. I think because to the they, Whalers, to the Whalers, because they sat by the river and wept because they saw the suffering of the people on Mount Zion. I'm sure we're going to get angry emails about the true nature of. I- I'm sure the so. Whalers. There's somebody, that but it there. works. It, it works. Right pedagogically, right. it works. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, may you be transformed by the Word of God. Amen. We'll see you next week. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.